Hey friends, before we get to today's episode, I want to talk to you about unicorns. You know I think we're all unicorns because we have special gifts and talents, and because we're all so special, it's important that we invest in things that will help us get to the next level. In fact, 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startups scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save big off your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, visit HubSpot.com slash startups. I've always been very shy about bugging people. And one of the stories that really resonates with me is uh, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. And like Michael Jordan at Kobe Bryant's funeral talked about how Kobe would call him all the time and bug the shit out of him. And he's like, I thought he was really annoying like a little brother at first. And it was this very endearing thing that he talked about where Kobe would call him at 3.30 in the morning to ask him for career advice and advice on what to do in these post moves and all this other kind of stuff. And when I saw that, I was like, why am I not relentlessly pursuing people that are several steps ahead of me? Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde, and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. We are back with a career advice packed episode with Jason Bay. But before I tell you all about Jason, I have a couple of quick notes to share. First off, I just want to thank you all for being here. So many of you have reached out over the past couple of weeks to really affirm the work that we're doing on No Straight Path. And I don't know, I just feel so grateful. So I just want to say thank you. And then I'm really excited about this journey. And if this show has made a really positive impact on your life, I would appreciate it if you could just take two or three minutes out of your day to leave a quick review on Apple Podcasts. It's actually really helpful. In addition to all of the positive feedback about the show in general, unsurprisingly, you guys really loved Kristen Turner's episodes. I know, I did too. And Kristen, she just has a gift and I think the world needs to hear her voice. Although she usually flies under the radar, she's agreed to step outside of her comfort zone once again to share her tips on how to move towards a career that is a reflection of your values. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, go back and listen to parts one and two. And although she's busy with election season right now, we are actually going to have a live in January. Actually, my first live. I've never gone live on Instagram. I know I'm new to this creator life. As you all know, accidental creator slash entrepreneur right here, learning as I go. But yeah, we're going to go live and we are going to do a New Year's kickoff and just answer some of your questions, talk about both of our journeys, really very just informal, open, and just trying to figure out how to navigate our no straight path journeys. So if you have questions, if you have thoughts about this specific live and things you want to see, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn. You guys know no straight path and Instagram will be in the show notes as well as my LinkedIn. Happy to chat Been chatting with a lot of people lately and everyone's been inspiring me as well. So I love the collaboration that's been going on. 
Finally, I have some more exciting news. I am going to do a virtual talk with Jordana Confino, Assistant Dean of Professionalism and Positive Lawyering Professor at Fordham University School of Law. That's going to be on Tuesday, November 8th, and I will provide the link in the show notes. Jordana is so amazing. We connected recently, and she's actually going to share her No Straight Path journey on the show in a few months. So stay tuned for that. And for this specific talk, we are going to discuss practical and powerful strategies for overcoming setbacks and finding satisfaction and success in the law. So if you are a law student or a junior attorney, check out the registration link in the show notes. And I just really hope to see you there. All right, so back to today's episode. I actually chatted with Jason Bay, also affectionately known as Jay Bay, and he is the founder and CEO at Outbound Squad. He's on a mission to help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. And a few of their clients include reps and sales teams from companies like Zoom, CBRE, Medallia, Xfinity, Gong, and many more. So really big clients. Sales is actually the only adult job he's ever had. And he's done everything from selling house painting services door to door, running outbound call centers, to helping thousands of reps master cold outreach. Wow, that's something that I could probably use a little bit of help in. (laughs) And although Jason has been in sales his entire life, his path, like most paths, was not straight. I met Jason through the HubSpot Podcast Network, and I really appreciated his honesty and practical advice. He's so knowledgeable and an expert in sales and entrepreneurship. I also love that he talked about his beautiful relationship with his wife, Sarah. And if you know me, then you know that I love love. (laughs) And speaking of love, I think you guys are going to love this episode. So let's get to it. Jason, welcome to No Straight Path. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Like we mentioned before the recording, we've seen each other around. We're in the same you know, group there with HubSpot, so it's nice to actually have a conversation. Exactly, exactly. Seen you around virtually and on the internet, but yeah. <laughs> via chat, via Slack chat. So yeah. <laughs> good to have you here. And we're going to dig, you know, as new friends, we're just going to dig deep. We're going to dive right in. I would love to know just about how you grew up, about your childhood. Yeah. And perhaps a little bit about how little Jason shows up in the work that you're doing today. Oh, that's a great question. Me as a kid, very different from, and also very similar. I'm 33 years old now, but as a kid, one of the best ways to describe me is uh, when I was four years old, my parents assigned me up for soccer. And I was so shy at that age that when my mom, I remember dropping me off in the van and I'm walking up to the field where the coach is and I have my hand over my eyes like this because the coach like acknowledged me. He's like, oh, Jason, nice to meet you. And I was like, oh, God, you know, I was so shy. And one of the other things that happened was in a game. I don't even remember this, but it was like maybe first grade. I scored a goal and all the parents in the stands are cheering. And as soon as I figured out that they were cheering for me, I was so embarrassed. I ha- they had to take me out of the game because I was so embarrassed, you know? Can <laughs> so, I just say we were opposites? I yeah. just loved all of the glory when I, yeah. And I played soccer too, so I love that. But no, I was basking in that. So that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, it was tough. It sounds like when you were a kid, I remember seeing kids like that and everyone to me seemed very extroverted. You know what I mean? Mm. And I was very introverted. So I just didn't really understand how that could energize someone. 
You know what I mean? It felt like such a, a risk to be extroverted and to like really put myself out there and all that kind of stuff. So I had a lot of what I'm figuring out now, just, you know, through therapy, you know, you go to therapy as an adult and you figure out all these like connections from your childhood and like why you are the way that you are. And one of the things I'm realizing about my childhood is I had a lot of social anxiety and I had a lot of social anxiety as an adult too. Mm -hmm. You know, I do sales training and I speak in front of hundreds of people, but I'm not extroverted. Like to me, that's an energizing experience because I'm not really talking about myself. I'm trying to help this group of people versus if I'm going to a networking event, like if I went to inbound, if I went to that conference and I didn't really know anyone and no one really knew me, that's like kind of like my worst nightmare is to be in situations like that. Wow, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So I can see that. And I've noticed that amongst people that I know. And even my husband, I would say, is similar in that way that he's also mm -hmm. an introvert. He can talk about things he loves. He can talk about his passions easily. But like yeah. the small talk and getting to know people he doesn't really know. That's certainly not something that he enjoys doing. So that's fascinating that, yeah, when you said that introvert, I'm actually very surprised. I was not expecting that. Yeah, most people don't actually, you know, because a lot of the work that I do is, you know, helping salespeople and sales teams. And one of the things that getting into sales, so my first sales job was uh, I went door to door at 18 years old with braces, still selling house painting services in college. That's what I did. So What's really interesting about sales is I didn't get into it on purpose. It was just a summer job where they said you could run a house painting business and make more money, you know, than I did stacking wood on a cart doing manual labor basically is what I did the summer prior to that, you know. So going into that, I always thought that salespeople, for example, the really good salespeople are extroverted and really good talkers. And what I learned going through that is actually it's the people that are really good at listening and asking questions that are that are good at sales. So what I've learned through my work is that there are actually a lot of people that are in sales that are introverted. Oh, wow. And it's introversion and extroversion is a scale, you know, of right. course, too. So I'm like if 10 is as extroverted as you can be and, and one is like agoraphobic or whatever it's called where you don't want to see anyone, I'm probably like a four, like maybe a three or a four. So it's interesting because when I train salespeople, I have to, you know, talk to them about some of the stuff that you don't have to be really good at talking to be really good at sales. You know what I mean? You need to be a really good listener, actually. Of course, you have to have good presentation skills and all that other kind of stuff. But really listening and asking good questions and figuring out what people need and sort of what drives them and then just figuring out how your product or service aligns with that. That's what sales is all about. And when I figured that out at you know, 18, 19, when I was first getting started, I figured out that hey, being a little bit more introverted is kind of a superpower in this profession. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think a lot of it for me, the journey has been, because you asked earlier, you know, how does the little boy Jason, I called myself JJ, by the way, when I was little, because I couldn't oh, say Jason. JJ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, like the way that that kind of manifests itself in my adult life up until very recently was, you know, I always felt like that was a weakness, that being more introverted was a weakness. And, and a lot of introversion and extroversion has to do with how you re-energize. So it's not really about your social energy. It's what do you do when you've had a really hard week, let's say. For me, I don't want to go out with a bunch of friends. I want to be at home with my wife, like hanging out in her dog, watching TV or whatever. You know what I mean? That's what I want to do to re-energize or go snowboarding with my wife by ourselves, not with a big group of people. You know what I mean? So I think embracing that 
as a strength versus looking at it as a weakness is something that I've spent my entire lifetime, basically, (laughs) you know, know, figuring out. (laughs) No, I love that. I love, and I think that's actually really going to inspire other people who are introverted to really take a look at sales. Cause I'm sure it probably, people probably miss out on that opportunity thinking that it's something that's just not for them, that it just wouldn't be the right fit. But I love what you said. It's really about listening and figuring out what that need is. So Wonderful. So little JJ is here with us right now, (laughs) showing up in your work. And I know you've had a lot of success you've done. I said so much in the intro about your accolades and the things that you've been able to accomplish, which I think we'll get into. But I would love to know about maybe one of the hard parts of your journey, pain points, a setback, and then maybe we can just kind of unpack some of the lessons learned. Yeah, for sure. Where to start? So I think one of the big things, if I'm thinking about kind of my career as a business owner, taking that leap, uh, I did that in 2012. So that company I worked with in college selling services, I was a sales manager with them. So this was back in 2007, 2008. I was a sales manager with them for three or four years through college. Then I moved to their corporate office down in Irvine, California in Orange County to be a marketing director. And that brings us up to about 2012. And I had always had a desire to just really do my own thing. And that was a really hard decision for me to make because it seemed really risky. You know, anyone that hasn't run a business before, a lot of your perception of doing your own thing is, this is really risky. I don't have a secure paycheck. You know what I mean? I actually look at that as the opposite way now. I think it's more actually more risky in many situations to have a job, especially in today's market, you know, with things the way that they are. So the first setback was the first business that I started was my ex-business partner and I started the house painting business because that's the only thing I thought that I could do because all my industry experience is in you know, construction. And we had like the blueprint essentially to run a house painting business. And we did really well for about six months. I mean, I, I closed like $500,000 worth of $3,000 paint jobs in a six month period. You know, I was really good at selling the stuff, yeah, Wow! but I had to leave that business because I just couldn't work with him. Okay. There was such a discrepancy in what we were both bringing to the business. I had experience like building teams of people that were doing this, how to market it. I just had all of this expertise and he had no leadership experience. Yet we're both 50-50 partners in a company where we have to hire and manage people, you know, in order to scale the business. So that was a really big learning lesson. I mean, I borrowed $25,000 from my grandparents, you know, to start that business. And then we had to pay it all back. And then I left and he ended up taking over the business and it went out of business. So that made me really gun shy actually to really do something like that again or to get into business with anyone. So I ended up not going back to work for my old employer, but, you know, opening up a, you know, I was basically sort of consulting, but my old employer was like 80% of my wages, you know? So they were my one big client for two or three years. And what I found out is that I just, I sort of like shrunk into this place of not really doing, I became very risk averse, I guess is the best way to describe it. So I didn't really want to go try to start another business or get into another industry. I never even thought about, which I loved doing as a sales manager, was training salespeople and running trainings and you know that sort of stuff. I never even looked at that as a potential career, like seriously. And when I did think about it, I, you know, the kind of self-talk was, well, why would you do that? You don't have the experience to do that. There are people that are more experienced, just an imposter syndrome, you know? Yeah. So 
that was like the first thing that I don't feel like, honestly, from that, you know, that was in 2012, 2013. I didn't really actually feel like confident about what I'm doing until like maybe six, 12 months ago. <laughs> so oh, wow. probably a little closer to 12 months ago. And we could talk about that shift and what happened, yeah, but that's like a long time, you know? No, it is. It is. And I appreciate you sharing that. I just, I really, there's a lot to unpack here and I just appreciate yeah. you sharing it. So I want to ask a few questions because I do think that this is something that's challenging for people to talk about, especially because the, someone else might hear your ex business partner might hear this podcast or, and I think the like difficult relationships, difficult people theme is something that I'm actually having a hard time getting those stories. I've noticed I've talked to people but they oh, don't yeah. really want to come on the show because they don't want to share those specifics. And I think that's actually mm -hmm. like a number one challenge is like working with other people. Sometimes deals go wrong, partnerships go wrong. And so do you have advice for others when it comes to a partnership that's not working out or even what to do before entering a partnership that could perhaps help people avoid the challenges that you faced? Yeah, I would never drop his name or anything, but I have no problem talking about what actually happened. I mean, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's yeah, pretty no cut and dry, you know, yeah. I don't have anything honestly bad to say about him as a person, even it's just, so to answer your question though, yes, I do have some advice. <laughs> so one, if you're looking to get into a business partnership with someone, I would really challenge whether or not you need this person in that capacity. So a 50, 50 partnership is just like for anyone that's married, you know, thinking about the different ways that you show up in your marriage, you know, let's just look at something really simple, like stuff around the house and cooking and cleaning and things like that. My wife, Sarah, and I do this very differently from most couples. Like we're not a big traditional gender norms type of couple. I do most of the cleaning and not because I feel forced to do it. That's just like what I've always done. You know what I mean? I do most of the dishes. We kind of share with the cooking. We'll do most of the laundry. It's just how I've always done it. And it's something I don't mind doing. You know what I mean? But we had to talk about that because if she was doing that, that would feel unfair. And it doesn't matter if the workload is distributed 50 50. It's it's what feels fair. And, and what do we need each other for? You know, and I think in business partnerships, people don't have those conversations. What does it mean to be a 50 50 business partner with someone, for example? Like, what is that other person bringing to the table that you cannot that's what you should be thinking about. I think one of the worst things you can do is get into some sort of position where you're starting a business and you need this person, the extra set of hands, and you don't need the brain. You should not give equity to someone that you just need an extra set of hands. That's something you can just pay someone to do, or you should do yourself, in my opinion, until or get funding or whatever. People could be doing all kinds of businesses, right? Whether it's funding or bootstrapped or whatever. There's three big kind of components to any business. There's marketing and getting people interested. There's the selling of the product or service. And then there's the delivery of that product or service. So if that person is not able to contribute in one or more of those really big buckets and bring something to the table that you can't, in my opinion, you sh they shouldn't have equity mm. in the company. So I would really challenge whether or not you actually need a business partner. And if you do decide that that's the route, I would always try to maintain majority ownership <laughs> so that you kind of control the direction and all of that other stuff. There are many exceptions to this, obviously, and there are many business partnerships out there that work really well, but it fails more often than it doesn't. Now, if you're in one of those tough positions right now, I mean, this is going to sound kind of brash, but I would say like I would talk to a lawyer about it. 
I would just know what your options are and what your legal obligations are, like what you can actually do. I would do that first before you do anything, before you talk to your business partner about stuff. If there's any of that kind of stuff on your mind, you need to know what you can and cannot do and what you are obligated to do and what you have ownership of and all of that stuff could work. Talk to a lawyer. Yeah. Well, you know, I totally agree with talking to a lawyer about things. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, lawyers, by the way, I, yeah, I feel like lawyers get a bad rap for some reason. And it's like, dude, that's the best thing that you can do is even if you just pay hourly for that person's advice, like the very best thing, I think the thing I've learned in my career, and obviously it helps when you're starting to make a little bit more money, which fortunately I've now, like I've been running the business long enough to where it's like, yeah, we make a pretty good living. And when you can pay for advice, it just, it does two things. It cuts your learning curve down dramatically and it reduces risk especially a lawyer. I didn't go to school like someone like you did. I don't do this stuff on a daily basis. Why not cover, like, you know, I'm always thinking about, uh, I love Annie Duke's book, and I'm totally spacing, Stinking in Bets. She used to be a professional poker player. So everything is about outcomes versus decisions. So it's like, how do I optimize the outcome by making a better decision? Because I don't ultimately control all the outcomes of things. So with the decision making, it's really how can I increase the probability of making a good decision, knowing that sometimes the outcome won't be favorable. And a silly example of that is, you know, if you wear your seatbelt every single day and you get into a car accident and get really hurt, that doesn't make wearing your seatbelt a bad decision. The outcome sucked, right? right? But the but the decision to wear the seatbelt was still a good decision. And then the opposite is true too. If you don't wear a seatbelt every single day and you get a don't get in a car accident, that didn't make not wearing a seatbelt a good decision. So I always think about like, how can I bring experts into, and that's what I would do. If there's business coaches, there's lawyers, there's people like that. If you can afford to do that, those are the things that, you know, my wife and I prioritize in our lives. That's what I prioritize in our business is if we're having trouble in a relationship, couple therapist. If I want stuff, my own therapist, you know, yeah. I've hired business coaches, like get that advice if you can, so that you can make better decisions and like de-risk the things in your business and your personal life too. I love that. Such great advice. I would love to get to the shift that you were talking about earlier, but really quickly, I could you please talk to my husband about the responsibilities? <laughs> <laughs> honestly, <laughs> honestly, we both don't cook. It's hilarious. Like we outsource everything. We have no expectations of each other <laughs> when it comes to that, just because when it's like yeah. two busy lawyers working together, we're just like outsource. outsource oh, you're both right. are lawyers. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> but I love that. I love the sharing of responsibilities and how you guys have those conversations and how you can also use that in your life and business partnerships. So sounds just like a wonderful union too. And yeah. I think you guys just had, was it a birthday or anniversary or something? The anniversary was in July. Yeah, we went on vacation for my wife's birthday. That's what it was. So friends, we're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about another amazing podcast, and that's Latinx Empower, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez, which is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Latinx Empower is a podcast that features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insights from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their careers. I think you'll love a recent episode on toxic positivity in the workplace. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcast. 
for Sarah's birthday. One other piece of advice, if I could, just because yeah. the other one was like slanted very negative. On the positive <laughs> side, if you do have a good partner and like things are not working out in your business well, or there's just you're not motivated or excited about what you're doing, just like the chores thing. I think having a conversation with your business partner about what kind of work it really energizes them and you being real with what kind of work really energizes you is very, very good. I mean, this might sound a little bit ironic. I'm a sales trainer, but the thing that drains my energy the most is doing tons of sales calls. I want to be very strategic and I want to do the sales calls for large companies that come in and like the large deals. I don't want to be doing 10 sales calls in a day. That doesn't energize me. But I just hired a guy, Ethan, last month, like that energizes him. The stuff that energizes me is seeing a day on my calendar with no meetings in it where I can get like really deep work done, like marketing type stuff or looking at better systems and ways for us to do stuff. So I think really having a good, honest conversation about the type of work that really energizes you and pulls in your expertise and leverages your strengths, like that conversation between business partners can be a really productive one if you haven't done that. That's amazing. I think that's great advice. And I'd love to get to, there was a shift, I think, in your career yeah. that you were discussing? Yeah, fairly recent, actually. This is in the last year, well, about a year ago. One of the things that, I don't know if you've ever felt this in your career, but one of the things I felt a lot of in starting, because my wife and I started this business together, like the end of 2017. And I was kind of consulting with companies a year or two prior to that doing the same stuff. So we started the business and like rolled those clients into the business. I told you earlier that I was very gun shy coming into this. So before we started this business, 80% of my income before I was married to my wife was coming from my old employer. They were paying me as a contractor, as a consultant, right? And I would kind of dabble in some other stuff trying to figure out and eventually get to the point that I am now. Well, I had a really hard conversation with my wife about, because I was like, yeah, I want to start this business. And like, she really encouraged me to just take that leap and say, hey, like you need to find a way to phase out of your old employer that's your client, you need to find a way to phase out of that. So that was kind of the first big milestone. And then there was like three or four year period where I would just do stuff that I think a lot of people do. You see other people in your space and they just seem so like far up here compared to what you're doing, right? Maybe they have books out. Maybe they have podcasts. Maybe they have a really big social following, whatever it is. And what I found is there was a a couple moments leading up to this moment that were really big. One, I ended up landing Zoom, like the tool we're using right now as a client. And that was really big. This is a couple years ago. I was like, I was like, oh shit, if I work with, hopefully I can use profanity on your show. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, shit, if I can work with them, I could work with any company, you know? But I still had these like kind of doubts. Maybe that was just luck, whatever. And I met someone that is, I consider a mentor now, a guy Anthony Inarino is his name. He's published four or five sales, but I just published a new one today. But he is, in my profession, one of the like people at the very top you know, of the mountain. And I met him through a mutual friend, and we just connected. And I think what was really big, there's a couple kind of learning moments here. One is, you know, I really didn't invest a lot of time up until a year ago into finding mentors. But I've always been very shy about bugging people. And one of the stories that really resonates with me is uh, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. And like Michael Jordan at Kobe Bryant's funeral talked about how Kobe would call him all the time and bug the shit out of him. 
And he's like, I thought he was really annoying, like a little brother at first. And it was this very endearing thing that he talked about where Kobe would call him at 3.30 in the morning to ask him for career advice and advice on what to do in these post moves and all this other kind of stuff. And when I saw that, I was like, why am I not relentlessly pursuing people that are several steps ahead of me, you know, and they can give me advice. and, And why am I not being more upfront about that? So when I met Anthony for the first time, I made it just like really clear in our first conversation. We talked, we have a mutual love for Van Halen, the band. So we talked about that for a while, but I made it very clear in that conversation that I did see him as a mentor and that I would love to continue talking to him and that I felt like I had a lot to learn from him. And then our second conversation, I started just being really open, sort of like I am now about stuff I was like scared of and, you know, all the fear that I had around like the job and all this other stuff and just getting validation from him. Someone that is much more successful than me at the thing that I do, at least financially more successful, that made me feel like really good. You know, I'm like, oh, shit. So he sees this in me. How come I don't see it in myself kind of thing? And specifically, the thing that he said is it was something along the lines of, uh, here, let me actually open it. I keep a little file. I think this is actually a good thing to do. I keep a little file with life lessons and things that I learn from the people that I interact with in my life. You know, and I think it's like good reminders to look back at. But one of the things that he said, this is what he said. He said, any part of you that you're uncomfortable with will hold you back and you have to crush those things. So you can go this like, oh, yeah, I need to reason with my fear and all this other stuff and go to therapy and all this stuff's great. I do all of that stuff. Or you could just be like, why am I making such a big deal about this? And why do I need to overthink it so much? Why can't I just operate from a place of being neutral versus like placing judgment? Why am I placing judgment on me and my status in my career or the client? Why place any kind of judgment on that and just go after what I want and not and not like think about it too much? Yeah. And I'm not saying this to toot my own horn because I'm not really that smart. Like you're a lawyer. You're probably much smarter than I am. But like when people that are smart, the thing that <laughs> one of the drawbacks of, of that is that you overthink shit. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, and again, you know, I wasn't smart enough to get into Harvard or Stanford or anything like that, but I'm a decently smart person. And I think that just being aware of that, we can overthink stuff. That was a really good reminder from him. And the thing he told me, he's like, dude, you're better off being a little bit overconfident, not cocky, but like being a little more confident in what your abilities are than they actually are, because you just might surprise yourself. And that was all I needed to hear. I don't know. For some reason, it was just like that. I was like, oh yeah, no shit. I should just stop overthinking all of this stuff and just go for the things that I want and stop doubting myself so much. And to not really like, yeah, okay, cool. I could understand where that comes from. And like, I'm still trying to understand all the pieces of the puzzle, but let's not overthink it. Like life's pretty short. I don't know about you. It's like, I I just, I want to get what I want out of life. An exercise that Sarah and I do a lot is regret minimization. It's a mental model that Jeff Bezos talks about a lot. And it's just, Hey, 10 years from now, if I'm looking back at myself right now, what am I most likely to regret? You know, and I'm like, I'm most likely to regret just not going after what I want. I'd I'd rather go after what I want and fail than to not ever even know what my potential is. I couldn't know more. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. That's exactly why I'm on this sabbatical pursuing this podcast. I literally thought about would I regret this? Not taking this opportunity and not moving forward. And I would. And so that's all I needed to take the leap. So I think that's great advice. And I also had this really great conversation. I'm not sure if you've met her, Emily Thompson from Being Boss. She was on the 
I think two episodes ago, she was on a podcast and we were just chatting and she was just talking about our expectations of ourselves. Like, why are they so high? <laughs> why do yeah. we put so much pressure on ourselves? Why don't we just try it and change course if it doesn't work out? But sometimes there's this difference between curiosity and like our fear of failure. And if you kind of just approach things with like, I'm curious about the next steps and I'm going to try it and see what happens. Yeah. It's just easier to move through life like that. So I think that mental shift, kind of like the advice you got from your mentor when I spoke with Emily, it's like, oh yeah, why not? Just think of it that way. Yeah. It's amazing how much your self-talk around the things that you do, how much that impacts your happiness. You know, another quote that I really like from Tim Ferriss is, uh, you know, people will choose unhappiness over uncertainty. So just know that we have a bias as human beings against uncertainty. Uncertainty is bad <laughs> in most situations. You know what I mean? For your safety. So just knowing that like uncertain things like naturally will cause you stress. And we like certainty and predictability and all of those other kind of things, which I think it makes it very hard for people to to run businesses or have podcasts or to create content or whatever it is that people do. When it's outside of what other, like 99% of society does, it, it feels uncertain. It feels risky, you know, and yeah. just being aware of that and being like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's what it is. Here's how I feel about it. And how could I lean into your point and be just a little bit more curious about what this has to offer and treat things more like experiments? Yeah, I'm not married to this thing. I'm not married to this business. You know what I mean? I'm not married to my podcast that I have. If it wasn't working for some reason, then I would just like adapt it or just do something different. You can right. always change, you know? So I don't know. It's just being aware of our own biases, I think, you yeah. know, is, is really important. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, you have so much wisdom and you're only 33. We're actually, I'm about to be 33. <laughs> so we're yeah. very close. Yes. <laughs> In a month. Oh my gosh. Wow. Time is flying. I would love to know just about the work that you're doing right now, what you're passionate yeah. about. Can you tell us? Yeah. So the way that I sort of got back to what I'm doing now is, you know, as a sales manager at that company I was talking about earlier, one of the things I really enjoyed, and this is like in 2009, was getting in front of a group of, you know, these were college students. So none of them had sales experience really, except for maybe a little bit of retail and teaching them like the basics of what it means to sell. And I kind of got away from that for a long time because in our business now, we train salespeople. What we used to do was do the activity for them. So I happen to focus a lot on what's called outbound prospecting for those that are unaware. So my typical client is a software company like Zoom. Yeah, and they have inside salespeople and they're trying to reach out to companies that are using Microsoft Teams and get them to use Zoom instead. In a really simple way, that's what they're doing. So when you do this, that's called outbound. So you're sending emails to people, you're making phone calls to people, you're, you're doing this type of outreach when these people didn't necessarily ask you to reach out to them. That's kind of the game of sales. How do we start conversations with people that may or, or may not have raised their hand and said, hey, I want to talk. So when we started our business now, we were doing that for people so they could hire our company and we would set the appointments for their salespeople. That's not training and coaching, obviously, right? That's just doing what a marketing agency would do. That's doing it for them. And in the last three years or so, what I've really leaned into was, hey, that thing that I'm really like was really passionate about really in my sales career, I don't do anymore. In fact, I haven't done it for a little while. How come I'm not training people on how to do the thing that I'm doing for them right now? And it turns out there's a much bigger market for, for sales training 
than for people to do it for them too. So kind of got lucky there. But what I do now is the tagline is turn complete strangers into paying customers. So that's what we help companies with. The big problem that they have is that they have salespeople that deal with call reluctance or you know, you probably get these messages all the time, whether it's through email or LinkedIn, you know, just incredibly pitchy, you know, stuff, not people not thinking about what the other person might want and just wanting to sell their stuff to them or not knowing how to communicate the value or being afraid to pick up the phone and call someone. Those are all the kind of problems that I help companies with. Very cool. Very cool. So I know that you have shared actually a lot of advice, but if you have more, I'd love to hear it for anyone that wants to enter sales or entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. So what I would think about, I mean, it kind of depends on how, how old you are. If we, that my advice would be kind of different for someone that's maybe fresh out of college or maybe in college even is thinking about what they want to do. One of the best things I think that you could do is get some sort of job in customer service at a call center or selling something. What you'll learn for skills that really translate into other areas of your life or like how to get someone interested in something that they maybe didn't know that they were interested in. I mean, literally me sitting down with my wife and us going back and forth on where we want to go out to eat dinner, that's that's sales, you know, managing a group of people and getting them bought into a vision. You have to sell them. You can't just say, hey, you need to do this. That's not a very effective leadership strategy. <laughs> you know, it's not that easy, obviously. So I think if you're thinking about getting into sales, there's some really easy things that you can test and see like, hey, do I kind of like this type of activity? Do I deal with rejection? Okay. Or do I take it really personally? Do I like having a job where I actually have to perform every day of that job? A lot of jobs are not like that. So a lot of jobs you can just come in and like kind of mess around basically most of the day and still get paid. That's sales is very outcome focused. So I would think about those things and how you could test it. For someone that's looking to maybe get into sales later in their career, my biggest advice would be you want to work for a company selling a product or service to people that you really give a shit about. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like if I work for a company like Zoom, I'm going to be selling to IT leaders. Do you like talking to those people? Do you like talking about like technology that people are going to use to talk? Like if you don't have that natural passion about the people that you're going to be speaking to or about the product or service, it's going to be really hard to sell that thing. So that's what I would look for. A lot of companies, I work with a company that sells software into K through 12 school districts. So they end up hiring a lot of teachers for that job because these teachers are so passionate about helping these schools. And that's what sales is, is figuring out who and how I might be able to help, you know? Yeah. So if you really have a passion for helping those people, that's what I would kind of look for alignment with. And it's the same with running a business. I would look for alignment in those areas. And one other piece of advice that I would have because I see so many people struggle with it in my profession is if you're going to start a business and it's just you and you're going to be a solopreneur, there's those three buckets of things we talked about earlier, marketing, sales, and delivery. If you're going to do it by yourself, you need to have decent skills on all three of those areas, or you need to be making a good enough living to where you can outsource some of that stuff. Where I see a lot of people in my profession is they're really good at delivering training and helping train salespeople, but they're not very good at marketing themselves. So I think knowing what your inherent strengths or weaknesses are and either starting a business with someone that complements your strengths and weaknesses or outsourcing and hiring would be one of the things that I would highly, highly recommend. And if you want to kind of dip your toes into the water of running a business, take what you do for a job right now and see if you could consult or advise other businesses or other people in a non-competing way, obviously, so you don't get in trouble with your employer. Like, See if you could do that on the side. 
So an example would be like someone that's a director of sales or VP of sales have a business on the side where you consult with other businesses that your employer is not competing with and see if you like doing that. I would try to replace my income as much as possible before going all in on something would be my advice, unless you have a really good financial runway. But I think the thing that you want to avoid in your career or with a business is I want to avoid situations that limit my options. So if I don't have a good financial runway, I recommend six to 12 months. I'm not a financial advisor, but, and a lot of them won't tell you that, but having six to 12 months of like easily like liquid, you know, that I could quit my job and be totally fine and maybe not work for three, six months and be totally fine. You want to be in a situation where you have lots of freedom. I always say quick money is bad money. I want to be in situations where I don't need quick money. So I know there's kind of a lot there, kind of random, a lot of random assortment of advice there, but those are just kind of all the lessons I've had to kind of learn the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think all of that is just such great advice, very thoughtful. And certainly I'm sorry you had to learn some hard lessons, but I'm glad that you're able to come on here today and just share with other people because already just my short time into venturing into this creator entrepreneurial space. I agree essentially with a lot that you've said. So one other thing, cause it's, it seems like you're very thoughtful, very well read. You thought about, you're very introspective in the way that you've been talking about things. Do you have any final thoughts and or life advice. So you've given this career side. Is is there any just like it doesn't have to be related to career, but like life mm-hmm. stuff that you want to share? Yeah, this is the part I feel like I have less figured out, <laughs> you know, because everyone's life is so much different. I think a really important thing to do in life is to figure out what you want. And what has worked really well for me and Sarah is thinking about what we value. So I made the mistake. I made pretty good money in my 20s and we just wasted it all. You know, wasn't financially smart about any of that kind of stuff. And I brought a lot of those bad habits into our marriage. And one of the things that we really argued about was what we spend money on. And what I noticed is that how I was spending money was actually out of alignment with what I valued give you an example. When we first moved to Austin, Texas, we were living between a Whole Foods and a Trader Joe's right downtown. And we were spending $2,500 to $3,000 a month at Whole Foods. I don't know if anyone else (laughs) spends that kind of money on groceries, but just at Whole Foods, not counting on the actual grocery shopping that we needed to do. To me, I look at that now and I'm like, that was pretty stupid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, but more importantly, that was out of alignment with what we valued. We didn't value like eating out there. Like the thing that we value is actually like when we go out to eat is we really value friendships and relationships and things that we can do to make those stronger. So if we're going out to grab a drink or happy hour dinner with other people that we really care about and it strengthens the relationship, that's in alignment with our values. And one of the big things that we did financially, I think that was a big win was it's something Bach is his name, but he's got a book called, uh, I think it's Rich Couples Finish Last or something like that. I can't remember what it's called, but I think it's Rich Bach. But the very first chapter in that book, which is different from any other personal finance book I'd read, is like really sitting down and thinking about your personal values, like what's really important to you. So it didn't say stop drinking coffee and then that kind of stuff. None of those like weird rules, hard set rules. 
just like what's really important to you and do a really hard assessment of are you spending money in a way that aligns with what's important to you? And what I found and what we found, and I think what a lot of people find is that a lot of the money they spend is out of alignment with what they actually really care about. So it's not about whether you are materialistic or not. It's about being real with yourself. I happen to be someone that's not materialistic, but if someone was like, there's no judgment there. It's just like, yeah, spend money then on that area of your life, (laughs) you know? So I think like stuff that's relationship oriented, stuff that creates freedom for us, stuff that reduces stress, stuff that health is another really big priority for us. So like that's gym memberships, buying healthy food, whatever it might be, like really sitting down and thinking, does this align with our values? And then that right there also becomes the decision making framework for everything else in your life. Does this align? And it's how you can make really hard decisions around the people that choose to spend time with the places that you go to spend your time, the places that you work, Mm -hmm. like the people that you spend time with in your family. You know what I mean? There's all of these things. When you really sit down with those values, it just makes it a little bit more objective with those really hard decisions that you need to make every day in life. Couple that with the regret minimization exercise that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And that just, I don't know. I find another thing that Tim Ferriss says, you know, if it's not a, uh, fuck yeah, it's a no. And that's based off Derek Sivers, I think, said something very kind of similar. It's like, hey, if you're not really excited about hanging out with that person or spending time with this individual or doing this thing, really reevaluate why you're doing it. So I have these constant checks. We do something called the Sunday Retro is my wife's idea. Every Sunday, we spend 15 minutes doing a start, stop, continue on our marriage. So that keeps like us on a weekly basis talking about stuff exactly like this. So create some sort of routine or habit or ritual around reflection. And I suggest at least once a week for 10 or 15 minutes so that you're catching stuff like this. You never want months or years to go by of you doing something that was out of alignment with what you really valued. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share this episode with friends and family. And if you like what you hear, please go on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to rate the show. It helps other listeners find No Straight Path. Let's spread the message, everyone, and make sure that millennials feel less alone. There's no straight path in your career and life, and that's okay. It's honestly what makes the journey exciting. So let's get inspired together. I hope you have a great week.